And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Hi, welcome back to the Mentors Radio. I am Tom Laurie, and I will be joined today by Michael and Catherine Stollard. Today, we're going to talk about burnout and the importance of connection. Remember, you can hear us on the Salem Radio Network in California and Texas and online at thementorsradio.com or on any podcast platform, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. Mike and Katie Stollard are all about the role of connection and engagement and a company's culture. Both are with the Connection Culture Group, which Mike co-founded, also the author of Fired Up or Burned Out, and Connection Culture, which presently is being updated for a new edition. Katie, a three-time cancer survivor, is a gifted communicator, speaker, and teacher. Both have backgrounds in financial services. Mike is Chief Marketing Officer for the private wealth businesses of Morgan Stanley and Charles Schwab, Katie as an investment professional for a very large family office in New York City. Mike and Katie, thank you for joining us today as our guest mentors. To get started, I'd like Mike to tell us a little bit about his own experience with burnout. What led up to it and how did you get out of the trap? Tom, I um, worked, lived in, uh, and we presently live in Greenwich, Connecticut, and uh, was working in New York City. And there was, uh, there were some seasons in my life where I was working on very challenging merger situations that consumed all my thoughts. And even when I was home on the weekends, I was thinking about work and how to crack the code and make some mergers work. And and just my work life had squeezed out time for relationships. And Tom, I started feeling more lethargic. Um, I needed more caffeine in the morning to get going, and uh, you know, exercise in the afternoon to rev me up, and more alcohol at night to slow me down. And those trends kept accelerating, and I, I realized I needed to figure out what was going on. And I ended up eventually leaving Wall Street and taking some years to dig into the research. I also saw that a lot of mergers were not working post-merger, that cultures weren't, uh, organizations weren't connecting and executing the plan they had going into the merger. So it got me really interested in, in culture. And as, that, as I dug into the research, what I saw was just the power of connection. And I realized in hindsight that I was lonely, that I had squeezed out connection and relationships in my life and were hardwired to connect. And so my body was sending me a signal, but it was a message that I wasn't getting because, Tom, I was around people all the time. Um, but I didn't really have that close relationship where I was talking through what was going on in my life. And um, we're hardwired for that. And we just see it today that a lot of people are struggling with those same issues. So we're out there trying to educate organizations and individuals just about the dangers of loneliness and social isolation and 
the superpower of connection, as we call it. And Katie, how was that for you? Did you, uh, was there anxiety leading up to this time when he finally left Wall Street? What, what was it like? You were the partner, so you had to experience something. I know. You know, it's interesting, Tom, that Mike made the point, uh, which is so important, I think, for all of us, that he was around people all the time, you know, at home with uh, our family. We have two grown daughters now, um, you know, active in the community. He was still doing things, going in and out of the city, working with his team. And yet uh, this loneliness was coming from his being so consumed and so wrapped up in the projects that he was trying to work through. So he was physically present, but not always emotionally and relationally present. So this uh, not seeing himself as lonely, um, you know, I to look at him, I wouldn't have said he was lonely. He didn't look lonely to me. You know, I knew that he was in his uh, in his head a lot trying to solve these problems but it didn't I didn't see uh, that this was becoming more and more of a problem for him so it wasn't something that he was actively talking about and sometimes it's with hindsight you know when you get some distance and you get maybe out of an environment that is really stressful for you that you can see oh uh, that that was really taking a toll on me, that environment. Uh, once you separate yourself from it, you you might start to feel better emotionally, better mentally, better physically. Um, so sometimes it, it, it takes a little bit to have your eyes open and see what what the environment you're in is really doing to you. Does, does that kind of answer it? It does. Now, now, Mike, so you're going through this. You left Wall Street, but there must have been some event or something that triggered uh, this reflection? Is there one thing you can point to or there were a number of things and where did you uh, draw your strength from to get through it? Well, Tom, it, it was a number of things. It, um, it started just thinking about my own experiences at work. There were teams I worked on where I was uh, energized and enthusiastic and other teams that I felt like were draining the energy out of me. So that got me interested in what, you know, what was about those cultures that were different because I hadn't changed much and it had that effect on me. And um, then also just seeing it in mergers. If you look at the data on mergers, four out of five mergers and acquisitions don't add economic value. And it's oftentimes because the organizations don't uh, they have cultural differences that they don't appreciate going into the merger, but then sabotage post-merger performance. And then um, I was seeing it in the research that I was doing when I took time off from Wall Street that just connection has a powerful influence on us. And within a year of leaving Wall Street, Katie was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer and then uh, within a year after that with advanced ovarian cancer. And that led us to... Um, two healthcare institutions. One is Yale New Haven Health, um, where Katie did uh, some of her initial, um, you know, she did surgery that, uh, that we realized after that she had advanced ovarian cancer, and she did six rounds of chemotherapy. And then we knew we had to be aggressive to treat it because her chances of survival, her probability of survival for longer than five years was less than 10%. And 
we signed her up for what at that time was a experimental treatment called intraperitoneal chemotherapy at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And just being it, you know, I often describe it this way. Our, one of our visits to Sloan Kettering, I remember walking toward the entrance and a doorman named Nick Medley just locked his eyes on Katie when she got within eyesight and smiled and greeted her like a returning friend, which is very unusual for, uh, for uh, uh, New York City. And the, the receptionist was calling everyone honey, also very unusual. The security people and the administrative people were helpful and friendly. And then, Tom, we spent about an hour with Katie's oncologist, Dr. Marty Hensley. She educated us about the treatment options. Let's, 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 let's uh, hold it right there. Let's hold it right there. We're going to have to take a quick commercial break. We'll come back and hear the story about Sloan Kettering and your experience. Thank you for listening, and thank you for spreading the word about the Metrix Radio. We've doubled our podcast downloads. Make sure you tell your friends. You can go to our website, thementorsradio.com, and click on past shows to find many of our great past guests. We'll return with Michael and Katie after these short messages. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today we have two escapees from the financial services industry, author Michael Stollard and his wife Katie. We're discussing burnout and the importance of connection. Remember, you can listen to us on the radio via podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device at any time. So, Michael, in the last segment, we were just finishing up with your story about Sloan Kettering and your visit there, and we heard about the doorman and how he locked his eyes on you, too, as if he had known you for years. But you're now in the oncologist's office. Tell us some more. Well, Katie's oncologist spent an hour with us, educating us about treatment options, answering our long list of questions. Tom, she was upbeat and optimistic. I remember her telling Katie that, uh, Katie, don't look at the statistics. You're not a statistic. Women do survive this disease. And um, by the end of the day, I had two reactions. Number one, I had done the research and knew this was one of the best teams to treat advanced ovarian cancer in the world. And secondly, I... I just felt more optimistic, Tom, that despite the odds, we could get Katie through this. And this last year, we celebrated Katie's 16th year of being cancer-free from ovarian cancer. And Congratulations. Reflected, yeah, thank yeah. you. As I reflected on that, it was that culture of connection that we observed at the gynecological oncology group of Sloan Kettering. It was such a contrast to what I had experienced on most of my career on Wall Street. And it really got my attention. And it, and it really um, aligned with the research I was seeing about the importance of relationships in the workplace. And this is uh, an important issue. Uh, engagement, connection is a serious problem in the world of, uh, for most more organizations, is it not? I mean, this is what your research showed? Yeah, when you look at the data, about 70% of individuals who work in America are not engaged in, in their work. And they go through the motions and they give um, their, their best efforts that they're capable of giving. But unless you're connected to your organization's identity, its mission, its values, its reputation, uh, connected to your supervisor and the people you work with, 
then you really don't have the energy to give your best effort. And that's what we're seeing in the research is that um, in the U.S. and globally, most organizations don't achieve anywhere near their potential because those the leaders in the organization are not intentional about creating uh, and cultivating a culture that connects people to these things I mentioned. And so there's a huge opportunity to boost productivity, but also it affects the wellness and well-being of employees. Can I now, throw something in? Oh, sorry, Tom. Sure. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Uh, an important piece of feeling connected is also feeling, uh, you know, not just valued, like you are a a valuable part of the team for who you are as an individual, but having a voice, and by that we we mean uh, being able to participate in the big conversations, being able to offer your opinions and your insights and your perspectives and feel like you've been heard and given that opportunity to um, you know be a, be a part of that conversation. You know, we we call that knowledge flow. And uh, if, if you're in a job where you feel consistently kind of shut out, like your supervisor, your, your colleagues don't care what you think, even if they say they do, but you can tell they actually don't care, then that's very disconnecting and that will, that will have a big impact on how engaged you are and, and how productive you are. So just tossing in that, that third piece of, of feeling connected. Yeah, Tom, we boil it down to do do leaders communicate an inspiring vision? Do they value people and not treat them just as means to an end? And do they give them a voice or vision value voice? When you find vision value voice in a culture, people feel connected and that conveys six different benefits that provide a really powerful performance and competitive advantage. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Today we're with fired up or burned out author Michael Stollard and his wife Katie. Well, that's an important point. The voice thing, and we'll come back to the three elements, is that vision, values, and voice. And what I found interesting in the work you've done is this issue of voice. I had a personal experience. I've got a company and a group of very high-powered people, and we're running it virtually right now. And as a result, the time, uh, you don't have the chance to see the nonverbals on people and you have to get through some stuff fairly quickly. But they were, uh, a year ago, they came and they said, you know, we, we sometimes feel that you're not listening to us. And it was this whole issue of voice. Uh, it, there was already, uh, so I'm just as guilty of that, I think is the point. Uh, and we now do things to, more deliberately on our phone calls to make sure everybody's being heard. So... Uh, that's that resonates with me. Now, in your work, you also talk about a number of other leaders who have created uh, cultures where they've uh, had a high degree of connection. Maybe you could give us a case study about one culture or one of the leaders that you studied. Well, one organization that we've done some work with, we've um, spoken to all the warehouse managers worldwide uh, for Costco. And, um, you know, Costco has been recognized as uh, one of the, you know, year after year, they're in like the top five best large employers in America. And when you really dig into their culture, you see that, that pattern of vision, value, voice. And vision, their vision is focused less on where they're going and, and, and more on how they're going to get there. They describe it as do the right thing. It's their code of ethics. And they define that, Tom, as, they define that as, 
we take care of, for, number one, we obey the law, we take care of our members, we take care of our employees, we respect our suppliers, and when we do that, we reward our shareholders. And so you, and they really walk the talk, too. You know, Wall Street's always complaining about Costco overpaying their employees. But from Costco's perspective, they know that valuing their employees, including their compensation and benefits they provide, is why they have a 95% retention ratio of employees year over year. And that gives them huge financial advantages um, that has helped them. You know, I, I just hope that your listeners are Costco stockholders because they've been wildly successful. So you see that vision and do the right thing, the way they value employees. Um, I've touched on already, and they give them a voice. I remember when I was speaking to all the warehouse managers in Seattle for their annual managers meeting. They um, they ran videos of people who came up with ideas how to, about how to make Costco more efficient. And the people were from all around the world. It really showed me that people had a voice in sharing their opinions and ideas that would make a difference in Costco becoming more efficient, becoming more profitable. And it was very empowering for employees to see their examples highlighted at the annual manager's conference. And what um, on this whole idea of connecting, and it has a lot to do with engagement. And isn't engagement... Uh, a real problem today with most organizations across the board? Yeah, it is. You see in that research that you know, it's 70% of the people in the U.S. You know, it, it changes year to year, but over the last 15 years, it's been anywhere from two-thirds to 70% of the employees who are not engaged. So there's a huge opportunity to increase engagement. And when you look at how can, uh, engagement is measured, it really comes down to connection. So do people feel connected to their supervisor, to the work they're doing, to their colleagues, to the organization? And when those connections are in place, when people do feel those connections, they're engaged. They give their best efforts. They align their behavior with organizational goals. They fully communicate. They engage in creative conversations. They fuel innovation. So there are all these things they do, Tom, that really boost um, the, their performance and their organization's performance. And isn't there some percentage of people that actively work against the company as well? Yeah, if you look at that data, you know, it's somewhere 15 to 18%. It just kind of depends on the part of the world you're looking at. But there, there are some people who feel so disconnected, uh, they feel slighted by the organization. So they begin to work against the organization's goals. Yep. Well, those are the resistors. We're going to be right back with our guest mentors, Michael and Katie Stollard. We're talking about burnout and the benefits of connection. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio. And now, back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today we have two connection relationship gurus, author Michael Stollard and his wife, Katie. We're discussing burnout and the importance of connection. How? So we talked about how pervasive this problem is. What is it that leaders really need to know about uh, connection? You've talked a little bit about that, but how do they increase knowledge flow? I, I, obviously, we, I know there's a lot of books written about 
setting a vision of the company. Maybe you have some insights based on uh, your own experience and your own research and work that might differ from some of those. But I know voice is the big thing that came through loud and clear for me in terms mm-hmm. of the three elements that are critical. Uh, and I'll turn it over to uh, Michael. Maybe you can get started on that. Sure. Yeah, one of the practices that we like under the area of voice is what we call knowledge flow sessions. And that is, um, you know, when you have decisions to, to, uh, that have to be made, especially if they affect a large number of people in terms of implementation, then giving people a voice, or if it's a complex decision that really requires uh, broader input so that you make sure you have the best information to make an optimal decision, then having what we call a knowledge flow session really is wise. And let me just describe it. What we like to do is um, ask people to, uh, number one, put their cards on the table, share what they're thinking about the particular issue, and then ask those present to share what's right, what's wrong, what's missing from their thinking. You know, it shows some humility that you're seeking the opinions and ideas of others. And then just be quiet and listen to feedback. It's not a time to really challenge people's opinions. It's just a time to uh, receive that feedback, to thank people. And as you do this process over time, you find that you will learn um, new information that will help you make better decisions. It will improve your batting average, so to speak, from a decision-making standpoint. And just as important, because you're seeking the opinions and ideas of others, they feel more valued and respected, and um, they feel they have a voice, or they do have a voice because of that process. And then we really recommend following up um, in writing to say, here's what I heard and here's what I'm going to do about it. And a simple process and habit developed like that really improves a decision maker's um, just the quality of their decisions, and it improves engagement and connection in the people who participate. So that's one practice that we uh, talk about in the workshops we teach. As I understand it, you've got three different kinds of connectors, and I believe every organization has some mix of these. Could you talk a little bit about the types of connectors? Sure. We think of uh, people, Tom, as falling into three groups when it comes from connection. There's the um, intentional disconnectors, and um, psychiatrists call them the dark triad. They're sociopaths, narcissists, and Machiavellian. Sometimes they're, they're clinically in those categories. Other times they're close. And they're about 1% of the population, but you have to be careful about them. The thing they have in common is they don't have the ability to attune to others' emotions, so it's difficult for them to connect. And they tend to be lonely individuals. They also tend to have shorter lifespans because of that loneliness. And then the second group is where most of us fall, and that's we're unintentional disconnectors, which means that we have blind spots that we're not aware of that um, impair our ability to connect with others. And it could be things like um, we don't, you know, we're, um, uh, we hold back in terms of sharing our opinion with people. We may not be good at listening to others. We may be, um, and I had this issue in the past, I think it's from working on Wall Street, you know, somebody took a breath, you learn to jump in <laughs> and, you know, express your opinion. And uh, Katie helped me break me of that habit. So, um, you know, little things like that can really become disconnecting. And when we uh, are open and seek the feedback of others, along with you know, a coach or a mentor who can encourage 
and help us break those habits and develop new, healthier habits, then we become the third type of category, which is what we call the intentional connector. And just all the great leaders we've studied, Tom, are intentional connectors. They care about results, but they also care about people, and they connect with them. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. Today we are with Connection Culture author Michael Stollard and his wife Katie, and we're discussing the importance of connection at home and work. Go ahead, Katie. I wanted to uh, add in something else about the the first category that Mike mentioned, and that was the intentional disconnectors. And um, just that these people, Mike had said that they uh, have they don't attune with other people's emotions. So they lack empathy and they can often appear very charming, very confident, very sure of themselves. Um, and it's that themselves piece that, that whether it's the narcissist or, you know, however it is being manifest, um, they, they come off as very, solid people, but if you are around them long enough, you will begin to see they don't actually care for other people and are not all that interested in other people. So the likelihood of them being authentic and real and genuine connectors is very, very low because they don't care for too many people beyond themselves. So just tossing that in. Yeah, and you, and Mike, you have a great story about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. We may have to remind some of our listeners who may be too young to remember Chicago Bulls, uh, Michael Jordan. But why, could you tell a little bit about the story about Jordan and what uh, uh, the coach Phil Jackson did? Sure. You know, Michael Jordan, um, Katie and I are originally from the Chicago area, and so we're, we're both Bulls fans, and we're there those years that Michael was there. And when you go back to when he first came into the NBA, you know, he was a superstar. People were expecting him to do great things and to get the Bulls into the NBA championships. But after a few years... Um, you know, Michael was trying to do it all on his own. And, you know, he had big scoring numbers, but he wasn't sharing the ball as much with his teammates. Um, and eventually, Bulls management became frustrated with their lack of uh, meeting expectations given uh, Michael Jordan was on their team. And so they made a coaching change. They moved to Phil Jackson, who had been an assistant coach on the Bulls, and one of the things that Phil did was he sit, sat down with Michael and said, Michael, we both want to win NBA championships, and, you know, you're going to retire as one of the greatest players probably in NBA history, but we're not going to win championships unless you surrender the me for the we, and, you know, your intentions are right. You're, you're, you want it so bad, you're trying to do it yourself, but basketball is so competitive that um, you need to connect with your teammates. You need to take the time to get to know them. Um, you need to, everybody needs a chance in the spotlight, so you need to share the ball with them. And the great thing about Michael Jordan is he had the humility to make that change. He started showing up to practice early to work with the rookies and on conditioning with some of the older players on the team. Um, he took time off the court to get to know the players, and that's when the Bulls won six NBA championships. So uh, Phil Jackson describes it well in, in one of his books. Um, so it's, uh, but it is a great story about a superstar who became intentional in connecting and just the huge impact they had on their team. 
Well, that's uh, I, I think that's a great story, and, and the fact that somebody uh, can do a turnaround like that it goes it says a lot about Michael Jordan and his humility and his coachability. We will be right back with our guest mentors, burnout and connection experts, Michael and Katie Stollard. Remember, you can hear us on the Salem Radio Network in California and Texas and online anytime at TheMentorsRadio.com or on any podcast platform, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. We'll be right back. And now... Back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today we have author Michael Stollard and his wife Katie. We're talking about burnout and the importance of connection. You can hear this show and other shows by going to our website. We have a lot more information there as well. It's thementorsradio.com. That's thementorsradio.com. Mike, we've covered a lot of material. I know there's a couple more things that you want to make sure we get across uh, with regards to uh, connecting, the importance of connecting. And and maybe one of the other things uh, we could talk about is uh, the role of loneliness in our culture as well. Sure, Tom. Just a, a couple of points I wanted to make. Um, some years ago, the Corporate Executive Board did research on employee engagement. I think they came up with a really critical finding, and that was that Emotional factors like appreciation from our supervisor um, have uh, four times greater impact when it comes to employee engagement than rational factors like compensation. So it's just it's surprising how oftentimes we undervalue these factors like giving people appreciation, um, being respectful, taking time to get to know them, you know, helping them advance their career. But those are emotional factors that have a huge impact. And you also see that in Gallup organizations' research. They have noted that um, employee engagement is driven more by your relationships at work and who you work with than the actual tasks you do. So, and I just, you know, I'm somewhat task-oriented. And so, to me, these things were counterintuitive. It was really eye-opening to see this research. And as you get deeper into this area, it's also surprising to see, Tom, that um, oftentimes the small things, what we call micro-connections, have a big impact, too. And these are layups from a basketball analogy standpoint. They're so easy to do. You know, taking the time to um, make eye contact with people, to smile, you know, instead of being so engaged in our smartphones as we walk down the hall, making eye contact, smile, using people's names. If uh, we're around them at lunch, you know, asking questions about their lives outside of work. These are really easy things to do. And um, research does show that to maintain a strong relationship from a connection standpoint um, so that people also have trust, that we need um, five positive interactions to every one negative interaction. And it's, so it just shows that positivity really is important. You know, everything is, like I said earlier, making eye contact, using people's names. Small things like that count, too. So it's very doable, but we have to be intentional about it to build habits in that. Uh, Katie, you want to add anything to that? Oh, well, I thought what Mike said was very nice. I do want to add something, though. Uh, two things. Let's see if I can remember them. One is, I think it is. it matters if people know that you are for them, for them as opposed to against them. 
So if I know that my supervisor really does want to see me succeed, likes me as a person, then if he needs to give me some constructive feedback (laughs) that might be um, hard for me to hear, um, I will be able to hear it better if I know that he cares about me as a person. So if those little micro-connections have been happening and been happening regularly, then I will be in a better place to receive um, hard news. Uh, so that that was one point I wanted to make. Another thing that I wanted to bring up is that in our research, uh, we've identified that there are seven universal human needs that when they are met at work, uh, help us to feel connected. And so, and I'll name them off, but um, if the people around us and our supervisors as leaders, if we can be mindful of these things, it really will go a long way in how a person feels connected. So they are uh, respect, recognition, belonging, autonomy, personal growth, meaning, and progress. So if those things are going well, then it really sets up an environment where there's going to be a lot of connection going on. Uh, But if, if they're not going well, then that's going to impact how a person feels, whether they feel connected or not. So... If I am doing good work but nobody ever acknowledges that or if my supervisor is taking credit for my work or my opinions or something, that uh, that's going to affect how engaged I am. If we're not being respectful in how we speak to one another and how we work collaboratively, that's going to have a big impact on engagement. So I would just encourage people in in any leadership capacity, but also just as a member of a team, if you can think about these these human needs that we all bring, it's just not that it's just a nice thing. Oh, okay, I have to be pleasant to people. I'd rather not take too much time. Um, it, it's not that we want these things. They really, they're needs that we have. And if they're not being met, then you will see people begin to kind of pull back, withhold, put their head down. You know, if you're in an environment where um, it's a culture of control or a culture of indifference in terms of how people interact with one another, then it's very natural that people are not going to do their best work or put in as much effort as they might otherwise. So, And all of this that you're talking about with connection, uh, the, the, the opposite of that uh, not being connected is an issue that pervades our culture today, and that's loneliness. And I believe you two have been doing some work around that subject as well. Uh, I don't know if Michael or Katie, either one of you can pick up the ball, but I'd like to hear about what you're seeing about the issue of loneliness. Sure. We um, had, um, and in fact, recently, just I, I love data, and this is a data point that I think really illustrates it. Earlier this year, Cigna, the insurance company, came out with research. They used the UCLA Loneliness Scale, which is the gold standard for measuring loneliness, and they surveyed 10,400 um, American adults, and they found that um, 61% Tom, were lonely based on the assessment. So more than half of the American adult population is lonely, and that means 
And it's also, you know, their year-over-year study shows it's risen in the last year. And I, I think with the COVID-19 out there, it's, um, we're going to see more people who are isolating themselves. And when we're isolated and we have stress in our lives, there's a high probability our bodies go to a state of stress response, which means certain bodily systems are not getting the blood, glucose, and oxygen they need to be healthy. That would be the hippocampus in the brain, the digestive system, the immune system, and the reproductive system. So you don't feel well if you're in a chronic state of stress response. And oftentimes people turn to addictive substances or behaviors to try to manage their emotions. And the most extreme uh, cases, there's a higher risk of suicide when people are lonely. Well, we're going to take a quick break. and we come back, uh, I want to continue on that subject on loneliness, which is really an epidemic today, and then talk about your work outside the corporate structure and how all of this also can work in everyone's life. I'm sure this is something that we can use in our own families be as well as uh, in our organizations that we're part of. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio. And now, back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today we have Michael Stollard and his wife, Katie. Uh, They're associated with the Connection Culture Group, which Mike co-founded. So we were finished the last segment. We're talking about loneliness. And of course, these are, uh, this is an epidemic talking about how we can use these things in the family and also outside of work and other organizations. Michael, maybe you can wrap that all up into a nice, neat ball for everybody to give them a great takeaway for this uh, show today. Tom, we've talked about how um, connection culture applies to business organizations like Costco. And we've talked about some of our other clients, Memorial Sloan Kettering, Yale New Haven Health. Um, but it's also relevant to other organizations that you might, you know, might not be top of mind. So, for example, this last year we started doing work with the U.S. Air Force. Uh, we started doing work with the largest school district in Utah that um, actually as a result of they had experienced 10 student suicides last year. And the Centers for Disease Control in the U.S. recommended connectedness as the number one strategy to reduce the risk of suicide ideation. So um, we see that in a lot of the, you know, this is relevant to your culture uh, in the home. We have a, a center based on our work at Texas Christian University, which has an amazing culture of connection that helps students uh, perform better academically and uh, have higher graduation rates. So it's very broad and and relevant to any group. Um, And it comes at a time when more people are experiencing the lack of connection because of this loneliness epidemic, which in part is due to we're spending much more time um, in, you know, connecting or in front of screens these days and less time connecting face-to-face. Most people also are not as close geographically to their families as they have been historically, or in many cases, you know, not living with their families, which uh, was much more the case uh, before World War II. So all these trends are, are resulting in higher loneliness, and so we need to be intentional about uh, cultivating connection in our homes, in our schools, in our faith communities, in our workplaces, um, just to protect us from the corrosive effects of stress. And what do you think? is the best way for people to get started 
uh, a quick, easy way for them to get started on connecting? Well, a couple things I, I would say. Number one, you know, making sure you have a best friend, someone you can unpack your uh, week with, you know, so, uh, you know, to share on a daily basis or on a weekly basis what happened in that during that day, during that week, what were the challenges you faced. It's really important when we um, have conversation about these things. It actually engages the cortex of the brain where we make rational decisions, and it disengages the amygdala uh, where we process threats. So it, it has the effect of calming our nervous system and helps us make better decisions when we process our challenges in conversation. And there's a psychiatrist, Edward Hollowell, who talks about vitamin C. Yes, Ned Hallowell or Edward Hallowell, one of the things he talks about, he's um, uh, a longtime uh, professor at Harvard Medical School and has his own clinics in the Northeast, and Ned calls it vitamin C, vitamin connection, that we need that connection on a day-to-day basis. And in a workplace environment where we're extremely busy with tasks, he recommends having uh, you know, vitamin C, having that connection on average once every four hours, and that helps us perform at our peak. And the things that he outlines that are uh, that lead to the disconnection are loneliness, isolation, confusion, distrust, disrespect, and dissatisfaction, which uh, both of you covered nicely in today's show. Now, one last question. Of all the uh, people you've met throughout your career and all the work that you've done, what is that one thread that runs through the their lives and, and uh, their careers uh, that uh, is a, uh, what, what, what makes them happy. Of all those that are happiest, what is that one thread that you see? Well, it's, it's definitely the connection they have with family and friends and mentors they've had that have really shaped their lives. And you think of Jim Senegal, the co-founder and longtime CEO of Costco. He had... Um, a long-term mentoring relationship with Saul Price. Um, I think of uh, Victor Bashini, who's had uh, at TC, the Chancellor at TCU, who was really affected by mentors he had who were teachers over the course of his career, and he's one of the best connectors we've seen. He's a, definitely a super connector. So um, just the power of mentoring relationships and the things that you're uh, promoting and providing helpful information on your show, Tom, really make the difference in great leadership and also just joy in life. Well, thank you very much, Mike and Katie. That's it until next week. We've been talking about burnout and the importance of connection with author Mike Stollard and his wife, Katie. You can find links to their books on our website. You can learn more about this and other shows by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. When you are there, make it easy for yourself to subscribe to future shows. Remember, you can also listen to us online on any device uh, or any podcast platform. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.